Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. In this series, Pastor Kirk Hall will be teaching through the book of the Bible known as the Revelation. At this time, open your Bible as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to your heart. You guys, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation, and we will be looking uh, tonight at two verses. We will be looking at verses 7 and 8. We're going to be looking at the first mention of the return of Christ, the first mention of His second coming, this second coming that I hope that you are longing for. Um, the Apostle Paul said that there is a crown that awaits him, a crown of righteousness, and not just him alone, but for all those who long for the appearing of Christ. And so I, I pray that you long for his appearing. And we're going to be talking about that appearing or that return tonight. The Bible is inundated with passages that point uh, to Jesus' return. And I'll tell you this, we're going to see it <clears throat> not just in the New Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're going to see that Scripture, Old and New Testament, points to the return of Christ. When we look at these references, um, we come to this conclusion. Hundreds of times in Scripture, hundreds, maybe even in excess of a thousand times, the second coming or the return of Christ is mentioned or alluded to in Scripture. Only a handful of times through the Old and the New Testament is the first appearing of Christ. When John begins to talk about the return of Christ, the second coming, he is going to talk with great excitement tonight. You'll be able to pick it up, and you'll be able to join in, I hope, in his excitement. Because uh, we know there's many doubters today, right? Many people say, well, you crazy Christian." All just sitting around, looking up to the sky, wondering when your so-called Messiah is going to return. This, this is nothing new. We know that. We know that even Peter addresses this in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. He, he shows that even the early church dealt with these scoffers or these people who would make fun of the believers for longing for their Savior's return. And it says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, before we get into the revelation, it says this in verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Even in Peter's day, he dealt with the people that said, life is still going on, the world is still spinning, you Christians are absolutely, positively out of your mind longing for this Jesus who you say ascended back up into heaven after he died on a cross to forgive you of your sin and to redeem the believers. We know this no matter what the scoffers may say. Scripture is going to show us tonight. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. Scripture is going to show us tonight and Scripture is going to confirm that we are not crazy. Aren't you thankful for that? Scripture is going to confirm that we're not crazy, that, that we are a people of truth. And when we read the Word of God, we read truth. And when we see in this Word of truth the many, many references to the second coming of Jesus Christ, we can count on this. The King shall return. The King shall return. I know we don't hear it preached much anymore. We don't talk about it in churches. We're too busy talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. We're too busy talking about how you can live a better life. We don't talk about the return of Christ and the fact that the King is coming again. He's coming again victoriously, and we're going to see that tonight. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Y'all are going to have to pardon me. I'm going to probably try to preach several times this evening. But Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says this. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen, so shall it be, 
Amen. We are looking at the fact that the king shall return. How can we count on that? How can we bank on that? How can we know it for certainty? First of all, I want you to see this. There is the promised return. The promised return. He says, look, look. This is a cry of attention. Some of your Bibles, the translation says, behold. It means this, listen up, pay attention, get ready. It's going to happen. He is coming. That's why we titled this lesson tonight, The King Shall Return. Look, he is coming. Now, this is not a might, or maybe, or a perhaps, or a we hope so. We're going to see tonight that it is a guarantee. It's a fact. We're going to look at it as a reality. The second coming of Jesus Christ is so real. And I want you to see this. When he says, look, he is coming, it is so real and was so real to the apostle John, he uses the present tense in explaining it right here. Look, he is coming. The present tense. He says it's as good as happening even right now. Pay attention when you study the Word of God. Look at how the language speaks and how the original emphasizes certain things. John emphasizes here in the original language, in the present tense, it is as good as if it is happening right this very second. The king shall return. The Bible, again, is full of references to the return of Christ. And of all the future prophecies in Scripture, watch this, all of the future prophecies that you find throughout all of Scripture, one-third of all prophecies in Scripture, one-third of every single prophecy. That, now, that, that means if we take a prophecy as simple as God prophesying that the Babylonians were going to take Israel captive, any prophecy of any kind, out of all of those prophecies, one-third of all prophecy in Scripture refers in some way to Christ's second coming or the things that will be established when He returns. We see that the Old Testament testifies to this. You go ahead and get your Bibles, get them ready, get your notes, write these things down. The Old Testament testifies to the return of Christ. You say, what? Christ hadn't even come the first time in the Old Testament. How can the Old Testament be speaking of the return of Christ? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God has seen everything from eternity past to eternity future? God's Word declares the return of Christ even in the Old Testament. In fact, Jacob, the first reference that we see in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says this, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. In Genesis 49, the first book of the Bible, verse 10, you see the first reference to the return of Christ and his earthly kingdom. Jacob speaks that in Genesis. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, as he declares the king and his rule from earth, from Zion, he says this, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father and ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. The psalmist referencing the earthly kingdom of Christ when he returns. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah speaks of Christ's earthly kingdom again. We're going to see that the things that, that Isaiah speaks of have not yet come. They did not come in, on Christ's first advent. But we are longing for those things, even as Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ, longed to see these things. Isaiah says this in chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
Talking about the birth of Christ. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We see the birth of Christ, and then we see many things about Christ that have not yet been fulfilled. He will be called the Prince of Peace. One day he will bring peace. But in Jesus' first advent, did he bring peace? No, even Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus, when he came the first time, did not come to bring peace, did not come to rule the nations. He came to be a lamb who would go to the slaughter, who would die in the place of wretched sinners like you and I. When he comes again, Isaiah says that he's coming as a king. Jeremiah speaks of this. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Aren't you thankful that Romans declares who this is, the righteousness that was provided by God to those who trust by faith in Christ? It is Christ, the Lord, our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. He's going to establish a kingdom for his people, a kingdom that he has promised. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. There's another reference in the Old Testament. Don't look there yet. We're going to look there in detail in a second, but I didn't want to leave that reference out. Zechariah in the Old Testament. Chapter 14, verse 4. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. Jesus did spend time on the Mount of Olives, but I assure you of this, I've been there. It is not split in two. But when he returns again, he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, causing the earth to quake, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. Verse 5 says, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Pay attention to that. We're going to see that statement many times tonight. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost, and it will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea in summer and in winter. This is the living water that flows from the throne of God that we will see one day. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and His name, the only name. We have not seen that yet. We see many idols and many so-called gods throughout history. One day, all will know that He and He alone is the one true God and the only name which is above every name. Zechariah testifies to that. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. You say, man, I didn't realize that this many references in the Old Testament spoke of the return of Christ. We're not even going to look at half of them. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evil doer will will be subtle, and that day, stubble, excuse me, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these sayings, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi spoke of this great and coming 
day of the Lord Almighty. There are many prophecies that also concern Christ's earthly rule that has yet to take place. You don't have to turn there, but write them down. Joel chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 speaks of this. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 it speaks of this. Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8. For the sake of time, I won't read all of those to you because I want to move into the New Testament. Because the New Testament as well is inundated with references to the fact that our king shall return. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of his return many times. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. In referencing himself, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Jesus then says in Matthew chapter 25, there in the great sermon that he preached known as the Olivet Discourse, he says this in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Mark chapter 8. Let's look at Matthew 26 first before we go to Mark. Matthew 26, verse 63. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's already told him many times at this point. He said, tell us. And he says in verse 64, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. We're going to talk a lot about these clouds in just a moment because we're going to see them a lot tonight. What does that mean? But Jesus references his return many times in his earthly ministry. Mark chapter 8, again, talking about coming with the holy angels, with the clouds. Paul speaks of the return of Christ in his writings in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed to you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Paul spoke of eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed at his second coming. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks of the surety of the return of Christ. Paul again in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're awaiting a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we know died, was buried, who rose again, who then ascended into heaven. And Paul is saying here to the Philippian church, he's saying, and who we eagerly await. The king shall return. Paul believed it. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says to the church at Colossae, he says this in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's talking again about that appearing of Christ where he returns again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Are we tired of doing this yet? Isn't the word of God good? Isn't the word of God sure? Isn't the word of God trustworthy? Paul says to the Thessalonians here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus? Watch this. When he comes, when it comes, he says, is it not you? He was talking about 
those believers there being the, the crown of glory that he would receive for all of the hard work that he done. He had done in ministering Christ to them. And he said this, when Christ returns in his presence, we're going to glory in you and in him together. Not only did Jesus mention his return and Paul mentioned his return, but we have Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We already read Peter's reference to the scoffers that we saw in 2 Peter obviously talking about the return of Christ there, but in Peter's first epistle, verse one, I mean chapter 1, verse 13 of 1 Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. What did I tell you at the beginning of the study? The revelation, the apocalypsis, Yesu Christu, the Apocalypsus, is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He will be unveiled at His return. We know that when He came the first time, He was veiled in His humanity, but every reference that we have looked at tonight, when He returns, His glory will be veiled by nothing. It will be His full, unhindered glory. Peter testifies to the return of Christ in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. How about the half-brother of Jesus, James, who wrote the epistle that we know as James, who at one time didn't even believe that his brother was the Messiah. It was later that he was converted. Did you know this, that James died for his faith in Christ? He was martyred, proving to me that the claim of Jesus Christ to be the Messiah is a legitimate claim. Surely one who did not believe in him, who grew up in his household, who knew him as intimately as a person could know him, who did not initially follow him, who later on was converted, surely at the time he faced martyrdom, if Christ wasn't really true, he would have said, no, just kidding, that's just my crazy brother. But that's not the way that it happened. James endured to the end. He endured to the end longing for Christ to return. James 5.8 You too, giving instruction to the church, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. We've already learned what that meant. He's saying it's imminent. It could happen at any time. It's close to us. It's just as John is speaking here when he says, look, he is coming. He's saying, it is imminent. James saying that the king shall return. And then we have John. We know that John here in the Revelation is going to speak of the return of Christ many times. He's actually going to be used by God to show us exactly what the second advent of Christ is going to look like. But John says this in his first epistle. Chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He, he's talking about Christ, when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. He says we're going to see Him in His full glory. We're going to share in the glory because of what he did for us at the cross. We see the New Testament just as the Old Testament was, is full of references to the promised return. How can I confidently say the king shall return? It is a promised return. John says, look, he is coming. I don't want you to miss this. The coming part of that. The coming one is a title for the Messiah. In fact, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it refers to him as the coming one, or the one who is coming. It's talking about Christ. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, he got wind of everything that was going on. It says this, verse 2, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, what was he doing? 
He was healing the blind. He was changing water into wine. He was healing the sick. He was confronting the Pharisees with their unbelief by giving them truth. He was shining light into the darkness. John heard about this from prison. And he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? The coming one. Are you that one? Or should we expect someone else? And if you remember that text, Jesus says, tell him what I'm doing. Tell him that I'm healing the sick. And I'm healing the blind. Go back and tell him, I am the coming one. He is the coming one. John the Baptist expected him. John chapter 6, verse 14. The crowd there in John 6, 14 said, Surely this is the prophet who is to come. The coming one. Every time that they refer to the prophet who is to come in the Greek language, it is talking about the Messiah who is to come that Malachi promised from the Old Testament. He is the coming one. When John says, look, he is coming, he says, the coming one is on his way. The Messiah. The chosen one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Martha, there in the event of Lazarus, in his resurrection. She said this in verse 27 of John chapter 11. She said, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ. Again, let me remind you what that statement means. It means you are the Messiah, the chosen one. The Son of God. Who was to come into the world. She referred to him as, I know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the coming one. John uses that same language here in the Revelation in this first part of verse 7 of chapter 1 when he refers to him as coming. He says, look, he is the coming one. He came at his first coming again as a lamb. We're going to see when he returns the second time, he is going to come as a king. Jesus is the coming one that the Jews of the Old Testament were anticipating their whole life. And at his first advent, they were blinded to the truth. But he is going to, and we're going to see that tonight, make it so clear at his second coming that no one is going to miss who he is. The king shall return because he has promised a return. Secondly, the king shall return because... And looking at the powerful return, the powerful return of the king, not only is his return promised, it will be powerful. What does that mean? Look at the second part of verse 7. Second part, it says, look, he is coming, and then it says, with the clouds. With the clouds. What does this mean? Does this mean that he's just going to come floating on the clouds like we've seen on TV shows and animated movies? No, it speaks of something far greater than just simply the clouds as we see them in the sky today. Uh, this more accurately speaks of His powerful, unveiled glory. This is more accurately rendered or seen as the cloud or clouds of His glory that we see throughout Scripture. When Jesus came the first time, as I've already said, His glory was veiled in His humanity. He did not come with the clouds and power and glory. He came as a babe in a manger. A babe in a manger. And lived a simple, even at times poverty-stricken life. But when he returns, Scripture says he is coming with power. He's coming with the clouds. This is his full glory. This time Christ will return in full glory. With the clouds signifies this return and the power of his return. With glory. We see the Lord's glory spoken of in these terms throughout his word. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns and let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. 
Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles and the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. The psalmist spoke of his glory as the glory of the clouds that surrounded him. Daniel chapter 7, I told you that we would get back to this and you will be seeing that we will talk a lot about Daniel throughout the Revelation. But Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He speaks of the clouds of the glory of the Son of God, who is the Son of Man. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus again speaking here at the Olivet Discourse. He says this in verse 30, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the, in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. With power and great glory as he comes with the clouds, just as John is saying here in the seventh verse of the first chapter of Revelation. In Acts chapter 1, when we look at the ascension of Christ back into heaven, let's see what happens here. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He will come back with the clouds in full glory and full power just as he left this earth. What a day that will be. Jesus will return with the, the clouds in the fullness of his heavenly glory. You say, what does that look like? We have no idea. We have no idea. Our eyes that are so tainted by sin could not see it if it were even possible for us to see it. We could not look on the glorious unveiled power of Jesus Christ. But oh, one day, every eye is going to see His glory. With glory, that's what it means when we look at His powerful return. When He says with clouds, it means He's coming with glory. But it also means He's coming victoriously. Revelation chapter 19. We're going to jump all the way toward the end real quick. We're not going to stay there long. We're going to get there eventually. But just to give you a taste, Revelation 19 verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a white a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The king shall return. That is a glimpse that Revelation 19 gives us of heaven opening up just before Christ returns victoriously to this earth. Matthew chapter 24 and, and 25 along with Zechariah chapter 14 all indicate this. They all indicate that when Jesus returns, his fierce judgment and wrath will be coming with him. And he will pour out his judgment and wrath on the living wicked who are here on the earth. And he will reign in victory. Victory over some things. Victory over sin. He will reign in victory over sin. And we will reign with him because of the victory that he acquired for us at the cross 2,000 years ago. He will come bringing victory over sin once and for all. 
As he begins to pour out his wrath and he begins to pour out his judgment on all unrepentant sinners and the sin of this earth. He will also bring victory at his return over Satan. Oh, what a day that will be when our enemy is defeated once and for all, just as Scripture says that he will be. Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan. That's what he told the Romans, and he will crush Satan under our feet. Did you know this? We who are in Christ will be returning with him, clothed in white. We just got a glimpse of that in 19, clothed in white, along with the armies of heaven, the angelic beings. We're going to look at that in great detail when we get there. But oh, what a day it will be when we come back with our king at his second coming, for he is victorious over sin and over Satan, victorious over death, as the power of death is broken forever by the giver and the sustainer of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will return victoriously as a conquering king. Conquering king. Well, that's why the Jews didn't want him at his first coming. Because he came so meek and so mild and so meager. But at his second coming, he is going to come as a conquering king. He came as a lamb. And he came as a lamb to the slaughter in his first coming. When he returns to the Mount of Olives, when he sets foot, as Zechariah says, on the Mount of Olives and the earth is shattered, he will return as a conquering king, not to be slaughtered, but to slaughter the wicked, to slaughter those who are unbelievers, and to slaughter those who are steeped in their wickedness and their reprobation once and for all, to rid the earth of the filth of sin. The king shall return with the clouds and with glory and power and victory. It is a powerful return. Why can we say that it's certain? Because it's a promised return, and it is a powerful return. We know that Scripture speaks of the Messiah over and over and over again as a conquering king. The world has not yet seen the power that he wields. But in due time, I assure you that they will, which brings us to the next point. The perceivable return. The perceivable return. Watch what John says here. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. He goes on and he says, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. What is he talking about here? Every eye will see him. This is speaking of all who are living on this earth at Christ's return. All of the people who are still alive when he returns. I'm going I'm to go ahead and give you one spoiler tonight. By this time, the church has already been raptured. Many believers have already been martyred on the earth who were saved during the tribulation. Yes, people will be saved during the tribulation. We will talk to great extent about that. Many have died during the tribulation due to wars, plagues, pestilence, disease, and all the things that are going to come upon the earth. Scripture says that it will be a time like the earth has never seen. So when Jesus returns, we have to ask ourselves the question, who will be left? Who will be left? It says every eye will see him. That doesn't mean every eye that has ever existed. It means every eye that exists on the earth when he returns. What is it specifically speaking of? Watch how he words this. He says, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who pierced him. He could possibly be talking about the Roman soldiers who crucified Christ, but by my estimation, they've been dead 2,000 years. 
So he can't be talking about them. He is actually talking about the group of people, the nation, who had him pierced. Those people who scream, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. He's talking about the Jews here, those who pierced him. He's definitely not talking about the Roman soldiers. He's talking about the remnant of Israel that will be on the earth when Christ returns. He's talking about the Jews. These are the sheep that we see in Matthew chapter 25 in the judgment of the sheep and the goats. How do I know that those sheep are not the church? Because the church is already with Christ. These sheep are those who are saved from Israel. Consisting of the 144,000 that we will see, those evangelists that are going to be raised up supernaturally by God, people say, well, who are those people? It's real simple. (laughs) They are 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12,000 of each tribe. You do the math. It's 144,000. They will be 144,000 Jews who believe in Christ, who are left here to evangelize the earth during the time of the Great Tribulation. And so we see that during this time, these 144,000 will be sealed. We will get into that later. Nothing can happen to them. And when Christ returns, they will still be alive on this earth. And also, potentially, those who have been converted by their efforts. Those who the 144,000 have reached with the gospel during this tribulation time. So all those of Israel who are alive at the coming of Christ see Him. Even those who pierced Him. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Please understand, this is not the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is when people are called up out of the dead, out of the grave, out of the sea. He says, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, and I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me, and I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for me, One of the least of these brothers of mine, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We see this is in reference to those sheep believing Israel, the remnant that Romans spoke about when we were there. They will look on Christ recognizing this, recognizing that His sacrifice was the only sacrifice that takes away sin. This will bring them to a place of repentance because of their past rejection as a people. It will bring them to a place of repentance over the fact that they had him murdered. And they will at this time, through the course of his calling them during the tribulation, surrender to Jesus as Lord. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. They will see him, and they will know that he is the one. And as they see him, they will mourn in repentance and turn to Christ. They will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great like the weeping of Hadad in Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. 
The land will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of Shammai and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. What is going on here? It is a national mourning of Israel. Did you know this? Israel's going to have her day. When Christ returns, everyone will see, even those who pierced him. We've looked at this. We will look at it again in Isaiah 53. As Isaiah is looking into time to the return of Christ, and he's seeing the response of Israel as they mourn, and they say this, 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. They will look to Christ, and they will mourn in repentance toward him, fulfilling what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. Many of you just got out of a study in Romans. You should remember this, Romans chapter 11. He made this promise. He says in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There is still future promise of redemption for the Jew. We are going to see that when Christ returns, this perceivable return. They are going to see it. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. The Jews here will turn in repentance toward Christ and be saved. But also, John mentions this. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. All the peoples of the earth. Now he's talking also here about the rest of the peoples. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about you and I who have had opportunity during this church age to surrender to Jesus Christ as Gentiles because He has extended grace and mercy to us. He is talking here not about believing Gentiles, but He's talking about unbelieving Gentiles. The mourning that He's talking about here is not the mourning that leads to repentance that Israel is going to experience. He is talking about mourning for fear an expectation of the judgment that they know that they have coming. These are the goats that are referenced in Matthew chapter 25. These are the unbelievers. Those who worship the beast. Those who receive his mark on their hand or their forehead. We're going to talk about that. These are the unbelievers. And they will be mourning because they rejected salvation in Christ they remained in their unbelief, having nothing to look forward to but the fearful expectation of the judgment and the wrath of God that will be poured out when Christ returns. These are the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 speaks of them. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
we see that this will be a perceived return. All believers, all, all living people, believers and unbelievers alike, will perceive the return of Christ. They will see him, even those who have pierced him in all of the peoples of the earth will mourn. Understand this. The Jews will find redemption in Christ as He is gracious to them. The Gentiles will find the judgment of Christ. Their time will be over. Their full number will have already been brought in. John goes on to say this. He says, look, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him even those who pierced Him. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. Then He says this, So shall it be. Amen. So shall it be. Amen. He uses a Greek phrase and a Hebrew phrase, and He says, Yes, yes, it's so. So shall it be. Amen. Then He goes on in verse 8. If you have a red letter, you know that it's red. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I want you to see this. We can bank on the fact that the King shall return. Lastly, because it's a pledged return. It's a pledged return. There's a pledge behind this. The fact that the King shall return is rounded off with two pledges. Two of them concerning this event, His second coming. The first one is a pledge from John. He says, so shall it be. Amen. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. The last living apostle of Christ, who was an eyewitness and a personal follower and disciple of Christ, who listened to the Lord and learned at his feet, who knew him intimately, he pledges that the king shall return. And he pledges it by saying, it's going to happen. And then he sounds off with a confident, yes, yes. That's what that amen means. He says it's going to happen. Yes! And then he gives that exclamation at the end. Yes! This is a pledge stating that this event, the return of Christ, will happen. It's a pledged return. Not only does John make a pledge, but Christ himself, the Lord of glory, the Lord our God, makes a pledge. We see a pledge from the Lord God, right here, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He starts out and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The pledge comes from the Alpha and the Omega, right? We know Alpha and Omega, it is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last letter, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The pledge from the Alpha and the Omega, what could this mean? It means that the all-knowing, ever-existing God, the one to, from whom everything and everyone stems, he uses the Greek alphabet to draw attention to himself here, to make a point. Every word in the Greek language stems from one of those letters between Alpha and Omega, just as we know in our language, A to Z. And we know this in our language with those 26 letters, hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of words are made with just those 26 letters. He is talking about that here. He's saying, from me, everything is. Everything is made, all wisdom, all knowledge, all power, everything stems from me. Oh, you just thought it was cool that he said Alpha and Omega, and you said, oh, he's the beginning and the end. He's everything. Everything comes from him. He's sovereign over all things and knows all things. And he has made a pledge. And what is the pledge that he is making here? He's saying, I will return. I am the Alpha and the Omega. If that's not enough for you, he says, let me put another stamp of guarantee on the fact that the king shall return. We see not only is it a pledge from the Alpha and the Omega, he goes on and he says, who is, who was, and is to come. It is a pledge from he who is, 
who was and who is to come. We spoke about this briefly last week. He's talking about the omnipresent Lord, the existent one, the great I am, the one who will never go out of existence. He always has been. He always will be. Therefore, his promises, just as his nature, they are eternal. When he says that he is going to return, he's going to return. The great I am has made this promise, and he does not break his promises. The king shall return. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. And in case that wasn't enough, he puts this tag at the end. The Almighty. Not only is this a pledge from the Alpha and the Omega, a pledge from He who was and who is and was and is to come, this is a pledge from the Almighty. He lets us know that. Why is this important? Because He is Almighty. Nothing will thwart His will. In fact, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27 says, For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him. What is he purpose here in reference to what we are looking at tonight? He has purposed that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, shall return. And the Almighty says, it is so. The one who is over all things, and no power on earth, or above the earth, or below the earth, will ever change the promises of the Almighty. He is over all things. The king shall return because the Almighty says that it is so. It is a pledged return. The king shall return just as he is pledged by his great name to do. Look, he is coming with the clouds. He is. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Yes. And then Jesus says, I want to speak on this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The King shall return. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you resting in His provision for that day when He comes in glory and power to judge the sinful world? Are you resting in Him? Will you be riding with Him in the clouds? The clouds of His glory? Clothed in white? Or will you be a part of those awaiting the judgment and the wrath that will come upon this earth when he returns. The king shall return. My prayer for you is that you are ready. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. How exciting it is. To see John's excitement. To see his excitement as he, by your spirit, writes to the churches. It tells them confidently of your glorious return. Lord, may we be excited as well. May we be excited, shouting, so shall it be, amen. Yes, yes, Lord, return. Lord, may we long for your appearing. God, may we preach the gospel with passion and fervor that others, that others would hear and that they would believe. God, I pray as we continue to look at your word, Lord, that we would believe in spite of the scoffers, those who make fun, those who throw insults at us backward-minded, ancient book-believing Christians. Lord, we long for the day where the scoffers are silent. They're silenced by the sound of that horse 
as you valiantly ride in to take the kingdom that belongs to you forever and ever and ever. Lord, I pray for the soul who does not know you, who has no hope. God, I pray that you give them hope in Christ today, that you would draw them out of sin, out of darkness, that you would save their wretched soul as they cry out to you. And we'll give you all the glory for it. May you bless each and every one of these men and homes that they represent as they seek to do your will, as they seek to learn your word. Raise them up to be mighty men of God who long for the appearing of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that we can confidently say our King shall return. Thank you for that peace. We pray and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.